Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to another episode of Broadway Nation. Come along, get ready, wear your brand, brand new gown. Oh, there's going to be a meeting in this good, good old town. When you know everybody and they all know you. And you get a rabbit foot to keep away them who do. The podcast that tells the remarkable story of how immigrants, Jews, queers, African Americans, and other outcasts invented the Broadway musical and how they changed America in the process. I'm David Armstrong, and this is the second episode of a new Broadway Nation miniseries that explores what I'm calling the Other Broadway. I teach a course on the history of the Broadway musical at the University of Washington School of Drama, and in the very first lecture of each quarter, I ask my students how they would define the word Broadway. What does it mean to them? The responses usually boil down to one of two answers. Either they say it's a geographical location, New York's theater district with its 41 theaters nestled in and around Times Square, Or they say it's the work that was done there, those great plays and legendary musicals that originated in those theaters, but now are produced around the world. And I think both answers are correct. But there is an equally valid third answer. During the first half of the 20th century, those five decades during which Broadway was at the very center of American culture, the word Broadway meant even more. It was pretty universally understood to refer to not just the plays, musicals, and reviews that you could see in a Times Square theater, but also, and perhaps even more so, to the nightlife that surrounded them. From 1910 through at least 1960, there were hundreds of cabarets, speakeasies, and nightclubs all crammed into the theater district. And they exemplified Broadway just as much as what was happening in the theaters. 
Last week, in the first episode in this series, we began to explore the origins of New York nightlife, and we journeyed back in time to America's first restaurant, Delmonico's, where we dined in high style with Mrs. Astor and her famous 400 on Steak Delmonico, Chicken a la King, and Baked Alaska, which, by the way, Delmonico seems to have invented in 1867 to celebrate America's purchase of the Alaskan territories from Russia. Then we strolled a few blocks down fashionable 14th Street to Luchow's, where I suspect we had a much better time rubbing elbows with the prosperous immigrants, Jews, musicians, songwriters, and the other show folk who hung out there and who would never have been welcome at Delmonico's. And by the end of the episode, Delmonico's had made its final move north to 44th Street, where nearby both Fifth Avenue and Broadway had become lined with other fashionable restaurants that were inspired by Delmonico's success. But that's only half of the story. Just one block west of Broadway, there was a whole other world to explore, the area known as the Tenderloin. Now, this neighborhood expanded and contracted over the years, but the heart of it was roughly where Macy's, Penn Station, Madison Square Garden, and what's left of the Garment District are today. From about 1870 to 1910, this was New York's largest entertainment and red-light district. It was teeming with bars, dance halls, concert saloons, gambling casinos, bordellos, and clip joints of every kind. It was a lot like the infamous Storyville District in New Orleans, or San Francisco's Barbary Coast during the Gold Rush era, or rough-and-ready towns like Tombstone, Arizona, or Deadwood, South Dakota, the way you've seen them portrayed in countless films and television shows set in the wild, wild west. Religious conservatives and social reformers declared the Tenderloin to be an abomination, a modern-day version of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the sensational newspapers of the day dubbed it Satan's Circus. Hundreds of impoverished Irish, Italian, Jewish, and other immigrants lived in the Tenderloin, packed into crowded tenements. And it was also home to New York's largest black population during this period. After dark, the streets of the Tenderloin hosted a sexy, boozy, nonstop party where people of every class, race, and color mixed and mingled all in search of a good time. Officially, those at the very top of New York society would never even consider visiting the Tenderloin. They viewed it as a dark and dangerous blight on New York City. However, on the down-low, countless wealthy young bachelors went slumming there on a nightly basis, along with quite a few married men who otherwise were considered to be pillars of society. And according to various reports, they were joined there by merchants, bank clerks, bookkeepers, stockbrokers, insurance brokers, city, county, and state office holders, reverend judges, college boys, sailors, firemen, pimps, and thieves. As you can see, the clientele was mostly male, but in addition to the performers, prostitutes, barmaids, and other working women, quite a few lower class and even some middle class women came there to eat, drink, and be entertained. The Tenderloin's most famous dance hall was the Haymarket on 6th Avenue and 30th Street. There you could experience three floors of rowdy, racy, raucous entertainment and amusement. Again, picture a Wild West dance hall in a movie western with high-kicking saloon girls dancing the can-can and a brass band blaring out Tarara Boom Die.
here is how the hosts of one of my favorite podcasts, The Bowery Boys, describe the Haymarket. In fact, those girls were most often prostitutes. Nicknamed the Prostitutes Market, the Haymarket was a veritable sin shopping mall. Ladies luring men to tables to buy them champagne, shower them with presents, and quite often making their way to curtained rooms in the balcony and upper floors. If you preferred male prostitutes, you simply made your way to the back entrance. In the 1890s, the Tenderloin's reputation grew as New York's liveliest party, a flashy, fleshy dive thumbing its nose at society. Women drank for free and were allowed to carouse and drink freely with the men who paid a one-quarter entrance fee for the privilege of joining them. Naturally, the Haymarket thrived with the help of police corruption and bribery. $250 a week greased the palms of law enforcement who looked the other way. In today's money, that 25-cent entrance fee would be the equivalent of nearly $8, and that $250 bribe would be the equivalent of nearly $8,000. But the Haymarket was far from your only option. It's estimated that there were more than 200 dance halls and concert saloons in the Tenderloin. Many of them were operated by black owners and catered to black customers. These included several that were called black and tan saloons because whites and blacks of both sexes mixed and mingled there. Music was everywhere in the Tenderloin, so it was perhaps inevitable that the newly emerging music publishing industry would make its home there as well. All of those dance halls, concert saloons, gambling casinos, and even the houses of ill repute were perfect venues for sheet music pluggers to push their wares and get their latest songs heard. In those days, of course, success in the music business wasn't measured in album sales or concert tickets, but rather in the number of copies of sheet music that were sold. It's been said that more popular music was created in the first decade of the 20th century than in the entirety of human history before then. This is the era when popular songs began to sell millions of copies of sheet music. And in fact, one of the few remaining remnants of the Tenderloin is a line of small row houses on 28th Street where many of the most beloved tunes in the Great American Songbook were written. That is, of course, the legendary Tin Pan Alley, which just last month, April 2022, was finally designated an official New York landmark and historic district in honor of its contribution to American culture. How exactly Tin Pan Alley got its ironic name is not entirely clear. The most commonly told story is that a reporter for the New York Herald was walking down 28th Street on a hot summer day, when the windows of the dozens of music publishing houses that were crammed into that one block were all wide open, and he was assaulted by the dissonant sound of dozens and dozens of pianos all banging out tunes at the same time. And he declared that for all their effort, it sounded like nothing more than a bunch of tin pans clanging together. Social reformers, religious authorities, and self-appointed protectors of decency, like the Society for the Prevention of Vice, were all scandalized by what they viewed as the district's intolerable level of sin and corruption, not to mention the mixing of the races that could be found there. They were constantly pressuring the police and elected officials to clean up the Tenderloin. This was the inspiration for Bach and Harnick's 1960 musical Tenderloin. In one of its most memorable songs, a group of working girls reacts to a clergyman's campaign to put them out of business. Why can't this damn do-gooder keep his hands off? Little old new 
But of course, the Tenderloin was big business, and a significant portion of the money that flowed into it then trickled up to all levels of New York City's political machine. And in the second act, the denizens of the Tenderloin explain exactly how the system works. Oh, it's grand how the money changes hands. Yes, it's grand how the money changes hands. Everybody's happy. That's the way she stands. Just as long as the money changes hands. So the men And the cops pay Fry And you pay Schmidt And Schmidt pays The alderman And the alderman pays The mayor la 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 Everybody's happy That's the way she stands But in the end, it wasn't the reformers that shut down the tenderloin, it was gentrification. Just after the turn of the century, much of the area was condemned and 500 buildings were torn down to make way for the original Pennsylvania station. This, of course, displaced thousands of residents, including a large portion of New York's black population, who now began to move into Harlem. The construction of Penn Station took five years, and during that time, another building boom was underway. This time it was in the blocks above 42nd Street in the area soon to be known as Times Square. And a new era of New York nightlife was born when a number of spectacularly designed before and after theater restaurants opened all along Broadway. They were known as the Lobster Palaces. One observer called it an age of mammoth hotels, restaurant parties, and ragtime tunes. Don't go away. Right after this quick break, I'll take you on a tour of the Lobster Palaces of Broadway. Hi, this is David Armstrong, and it's my great pleasure to welcome Factor as a sponsor to Broadway Nation this week. This spring, you can eat stress-free with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes. You can choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or my personal choice, Vegan and Veggie. You can also 
also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunches, snacks, and beverages that'll help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get chef-prepared meals on the table in two minutes with Factor's ready-to-eat meals so you can get back to doing what you love this spring. If you're looking for gourmet meals, try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. These are no-fuss, no-muss meals, and Factor Meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. You simply heat and savor the good stuff. And you can tailor it all to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. And you can pause or reschedule the deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Factor is your solution for fast, premium meals without the need for cooking. And we're celebrating Earth Day all month long at Factor, so look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for the lowest carbon footprint meals. Here's what you do. Head to factormeals.com BN50 and use code BN50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box. That's code BN50, as in Broadway Nation, BN50 at factormeals.com BN50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Do it now. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. They were called lobster palaces because of their elaborate and spectacular interior design and their lively late-night lobster suppers. These included Churchill's, Martin's, Maxime's, Murray's Roman Gardens, Shanley's, Risenweber's, and Rector's. They created an opulent and slightly naughty experience that catered to the theatrical crowd that surged nightly in and out of theaters in search of a pre-show dinner or an after-theater supper. And these restaurants appealed to the growing ranks of prosperous nouveau riche city dwellers, many of whom lived in luxurious but not exclusive apartments on the Upper West Side, and the Lobster Palaces provided them with a somewhat more democratic version of the socially exclusive dining rooms that lined Fifth Avenue. The Lobster Palaces pioneered a slightly racy, celebratory style that was showier than the Waldorfs or Delmonico's. Here, theatrical successes and sporting achievements were toasted with the popping of champagne corks. As George Rector said, Sherry's and Delmonico's served the 400. But Rector's not only attracted the 400, it also served most of New York's 4 million. While the Astors and other white establishment families had been the money behind the hotel restaurants of Fifth Avenue, it was Irish, German, Swiss, and French immigrants that created the restaurants of Broadway. Most of them started at the bottom of the restaurant business before working their way up and becoming wildly successful. In 1902, three brothers from the Basque region of France, André, Jacques, and Louis Bastanaby, opened their Café des Beaux-Arts at 40th Street and 6th Avenue. It was an instant sensation with its orchestra, French menu, and sexy young European waiters. 
Churchill's, which opened at 49th and Broadway in 1909, had 300 employees and could seat 1,400 customers. It was rumored to have cost $3 million to build. And $3 million in 1909 money would have the buying power of more than $90 million today. Much like a modern Las Vegas hotel and casino, no expense was spared in outfitting these restaurants with lavish and spectacular decor. Their immersive fantasy environments gave everyone the chance to feel like they were one of the 400 on a grand tour of old world Europe or as if they had been transported by a time machine back to the ancient past. Murray's Roman Gardens on 42nd Street transported diners back to ancient Rome with a main dining room that was built to resemble the atrium of a Roman villa. Rector's was decorated in the green and gold furnishings of Louis XIV, the Sun King. The Hotel Martinique at Broadway and 32nd Street had a main dining room modeled after the Apollo Gallery at the Louvre. Julius Keller, a Swiss immigrant, opened the Café de France at 38th Street and Broadway, but it failed to catch on until he dressed his waiters like servants to Louis XIV, hired an orchestra, and most importantly, borrowed the name of the most famous restaurant in Paris and probably the most famous restaurant in the world, Maxime's. This name change was almost certainly inspired by the international smash hit operetta The Merry Widow, which had recently taken Broadway by storm. That show's third act is set entirely in Maxime's, and its first act finale is this hit song. I'm going to Maxime's to lose myself in dreams. I'll play in that oasis with all those lovely Who wouldn't want to go there? And all of the lobster palaces employed the most up-to-date, cutting-edge technology of the day, electric lights. It was the use of thousands of light bulbs to decorate the exteriors of these restaurants as well as the theaters that gave Broadway its enduring nickname, the Great White Way. And the lobster palaces also pioneered the use of electric lights to provide interior spaces with theatrical drama and romance. Murray's featured a painted sky filled with twinkling electric stars and a silvery moon. Service had to be exquisitely courteous and perfect. George Rector wrote, Not one of our patrons has ever had to remind one of our waiters that he was a waiter, or myself that I was there to look after his comfort. It was essential to have a staff that could take orders. In Rector's opinion, American boys did not make good waiters because they considered themselves to be just as good as the guests. Immigrants made better servants. Whenever possible, restaurants obtained their help from Europe because, as Rector continued, they were polished, subservient, and of handsome appearance. We had one motto, the guest is right, right or wrong. 
This was an era characterized by large meals. And here, Diamond Jim Brady makes another appearance. He was a symbol of the businessman of his day who could conspicuously consume more than a lesser man would be able to do. A regular now at Rector's, he would start a meal by drinking three or four carafes of orange juice. Then he would eat two or three dozen oysters before moving on to a dozen hardshell crabs. Often, he would follow this with six or seven lobsters and then some steaks and chops. He finished off with coffee, cakes, pastry, and bonbons. And then, after attending the theater, he would return to Rector's for a midnight supper. Unlike the following generation that would crave action and activity, this generation gloried in the sedentary behavior of large, long, elaborate, multi-course meals that demonstrated that they had risen above the hustle and bustle that working-class people were subjected to. However, unlike the exclusive Fifth Avenue hotels, Broadway restaurants were always open to the fast crowd from the expanding fields of show business and music publishing. In fact, one of the major attractions of dining in the Lobster Palaces was the opportunity to see at close range the leading Broadway figures of the day. You might catch a glimpse of the vivacious star Anna Held and her husband Florence Ziegfeld, or you might be seated at a table next to Faye Templeton, Nora Bays, George M. Cohan, or one of those famous Floridora girls, all of whom married millionaires. It was here that actors and actresses perfected the art of the entrance. All heads would turn to see them gliding down magnificent staircases like the one at Rector's for a late-night supper. It was in the Lobster Palaces where Broadway stars invented and perfected the art of the entrance. All heads would turn to see them gliding down magnificent staircases like the one at Rector's for a late-night supper. Here is how those entrances were described. The time is somewhere between 11.30 and midnight. The orchestra is playing when it is suddenly called to a halt. The leader has caught sight of a star just about to enter. If she is not a star recognizable on sight, he has probably been tipped off in advance as to her identity. There is a pause of silence during which all conversation ceases. Then the orchestra strikes up the song currently associated with the star, who blushing faintly glides swan-like to her table, skin dazzling, diamonds winking, profile at the proper tilt. Her escort, probably hidden behind the blanket of violets that are her evening's tribute, knows his name will go down in history. Yes, I agree, it sounds a lot like Dolly Levi's entrance at the Harmonia Gardens. And Rector's itself became something of a Broadway star. In the 1908 play, The Easiest Way, produced by David Belasco, the heroine grows weary of trying to live a virtuous life and finally declares, I'm going to dress up my body and paint my face. Yes, I'm going back to Rector's to make a hit and to hell with the rest of it. The following year, a sex farce titled The Girl from Rector's opened at Weber's Music Hall, and the Ziegfeld Follies of 1913 introduced a hit song titled If a Table at Rector's Could Talk. There is a tavern in our town, in our town. There at night I sit me down, sit me down, to dine and wine with lots of free. For laughter is the only thing that's free at Rector's. I was sitting at my table laughing all that I was able when I thought, I thought a funny little thought. What a funny thing could be in the year 1913 if a table at Rector's could talk. 
What a lot of things you'd hear through your conversations here If a table at Rector's could talk You'd hear what someone's Adam said to someone else's Eve You'd hear some men don't have to wear a mustache to deceive You'd hear how wide the tailor made your poker partner's sleeve You'd hear of horses that lose in a walk You'd hear how Susie Spotlight does it on 18 per week You'd hear who made the manager give her them lines to speak And a lot of men would pony up a lot of alimony If a table at Rector's could talk The Lobster Palaces were part of a growing revolt against the strict conventions of the Victorian age, and nowhere can we see this more clearly than with the arrival of The Man About Town, which in 1903 the New York Tribune considered to be a new social phenomenon, and they noted that these bachelors, or single men for the evening, consistently stayed up past one o'clock. For them, the theater is just an incident, and the real fun comes after. Many of these prosperous young and not-so-young men viewed the Lobster Palaces as a bohemian opportunity to meet and mix with the charming actresses and actors of the theater, especially the vivacious chorus girls of the musical comedy stage who would be invited to late-night after-theater dinners of champagne and lobster, which were dubbed bird-and-bottle dinners. This interaction and interplay between these rich sugar daddies and the primarily working-class chorus girls would become one of the defining obsessions of the era. And these so-called gold diggers would continue to be the subject of numerous plays, novels, movies, and songs up through at least the 1950s. And that's a subject that probably rates a future episode of its own. Most of the celebrating happened within the propriety of the public dining rooms. However, many restaurants offered private dining rooms as well. We see echoes of these in both Funny Girl and the curtain dining rooms of Hello Dolly. We also get a glimpse of this world, if not of a lobster house itself, in the musical Ragtime. In Ragtime's opening number, the scandalous Stanford White murder case is declared to be the crime of the century, even though it's only 1906 and there were 94 years to go. Among Ragtime's featured characters is Evelyn Nesbitt, who in 1900 made her Broadway debut in the musical sensation Floridora. She soon began an affair with the married society architect Stanford White, who often wined and dined her at Rector's. Your honor, I was once the lady friend of Stanford White. He's a famous architect. Yes, that's right. He put me on a velvet swing and made me wear, well, hardly anything. Ruined at the age of 15. Then, in 1905, she married Pittsburgh steel heir Harry K. Thaw. The following year, Thaw became deranged and shot and killed Stanford White for deflowering his wife before their marriage. Your honor, then I went and married Mr. Harry Thaw. Eccentric millionaire. Oh, oh, Harry's a jealous man. His trial became a media sensation.
The Thaw White case was only one of many that were heavily covered in the newly popular Sunday newspaper supplements, themselves an innovation of the 1890s. And the press reveled in the theme of the defilement of innocent womanhood by pleasure-hungry men. Stanley's killed, but my mother's thrilled, cause now I'm the girl on the... Now I'm the girl on the swing! This kind of national attention on the public and private misbehavior of the rich and powerful provided shocking and dramatic evidence that urban life was changing and the rigid mores of the Victorian era were starting to crack. And on the next episode in this series, that crack will widen as the music, performance styles, and especially the public dancing of the Tenderloin and other black and immigrant neighborhoods will begin to invade the lobster palaces and transform them from restaurants into cabarets. I'm happy to say that the audience for Broadway Nation just keeps growing and growing, and I love to hear from my listeners. Whether this is your first time listening to Broadway Nation or you're a longtime fan, I would love to hear from you. You can find me on Instagram at David at Broadway Nation, on Twitter at Podcast Broadway, or message me on the website broadway-nation.com. Or best of all, join the more than 2,000 fans of this podcast in our extremely fun and interactive Broadway Nation Facebook group. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, this is David Armstrong, and it's my great pleasure to welcome Factor as a sponsor to Broadway Nation this week. This spring, you can eat stress-free with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes. You can choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or my personal choice, Vegan and Veggie. You can also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunches, snacks, and beverages that'll help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get chef-prepared meals on the table in two minutes with Factors ready-to-eat meals so you can get back to doing what you love this spring. If you're looking for gourmet meals, try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. These are no-fuss, no-muss meals, and Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. You simply heat and savor the good stuff. And you can tailor it all to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. And you can pause or reschedule the deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Factor is your solution for fast, premium meals without the need for cooking. And we're celebrating 
Earth Day all month long at Factor, so look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for the lowest carbon footprint meals. Here's what you do. Head to factormeals.com slash BN50 and use code BN50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box. That's code BN50, as in Broadway Nation, BN50 at factormeals.com slash BN50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Do it now! Broadway Nation is written and produced by me, David Armstrong. There are two books that were immensely informative and helpful in creating this episode. The first is called Step It Out, New York Nightlife and the Transformation of American Culture by Lewis Ehrenberg. The second is Inventing Times Square, Commerce and Culture at the Crossroads of the World, which is a collection of articles and essays edited by William Taylor. Both are terrific, and I highly recommend them. Special thanks to KVSH 101.9, the voice of beautiful Vashon Island, Washington, and to the entire team at the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over the limit by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.